Well, uh, before we get started this morning, I just wanted to make mention of one thing. If you remember last week, we just finished up the book of Titus. One of the verses, and it's so funny how God does this, how he brings right after you talk, have you noticed this before? Right after you talk about something in the text or you read something in a text, then God gives you the exact thing to live out. Do you guys feel like that happens in your life? So this last week, uh, I was thinking on this text that we read in Titus. It says, let your people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need. I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know, in, Ag- in Agora Hills, like what does that even necessarily look like, cases of, uh, of urgent need? And this week we had an opportunity. There's a, a family in our church that's going through a challenging time financially, a family of three, and we were trying to figure out some stuff for, for housing for them for the next couple of months to kind of give them that they are employed and give them a chance to kind of rebound and catch up. And so I thought, instead of us just talking about it, I would present it here and let us as a church wrestle through if you have any suggestions for me for housing for a family of three, even for a couple of weeks. They're going to stay at our place for a couple of weeks while we're away on a, on a vacation, and we're just trying to figure out the summer run for a family in our church. And so if God tugs on your heart, there it is. I'm laying it out there, and we'll see if we can live that out and have an opportunity to meet a need there. Sound fair? So there, there it is, us not just playing church and talking about it, but actually living it out. Before we dive into uh, our text this morning, let me just pray for us and we'll dive in. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this chance to be together in your house and already just blessed by, by a chance to worship you and celebrate your faithfulness and uh, the, the way that you provide and meet needs, God. And I even think of Barbara Liljegren just up here reading a, a passage about your faithfulness and how you are trustworthy. We, we continue uh, to pray for uh, their family and praying for Jim specifically that you would heal his body, God. We pray now that you'd be present in this, this message, that you'd be great and I would be small. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, how many of you would uh, attest to having times or seasons of your life where you just feel like no one is listening to you. Nobody is listening to you. If you're a parent of young children, this is kind of part of the daily experience. Anybody else uh, attest to that where you're like, is, is anybody listening to me? What, what's going on here? Where, where is my audience? Why are they not responding as I speak? My kids, I have them daily. Like, did you not hear what I just said? I asked you, like, so you can see that's a soapbox, obviously, that I can get on. But, but this, uh, this, this topic this morning, as we're dealing with another character in our series, The Average Joe's, and I've titled that The Average Joe Jeremiah, An Ignored Voice, because that's what Jeremiah was notorious for, was giving counsel and not having his counsel listened to. That was basically his entire ministry that we're going to look at here this morning. But honestly, if we're truthful about our own lives, there's a lot of good counsel that we've received over the years that when you look back, you're like, you know what, I wasn't real great at listening to that either. Anybody be able to point back to a time where somebody said, you know, you should do this or you shouldn't do that. And you're like, you know, I think I'm just going to blaze my own trail here. And I, I remember specifically a, a time I was with uh, my best friend, Joe, and we were visiting a family's house and we were going into their house and they had one of those little yapper dogs that comes up and the, the lady just kindly just said, you know, you know, be careful because that, that dog does have a tendency, it'll, it'll nip at you. I was like, oh, it's fine. I, I'm good with dogs, no problem. So I'm kind of there, kind of you put the hand out to make sure everything's okay and, uh, and just, just trying to gauge it. And my friend Joe's just like, Scott, that dog's going to bite you. 
that, that dog's going to bite you. I'm like, no, it's fine. Look how little that thing is. And uh, famous last words, right? And, uh, and so you can guess where this story's going. So I'm reaching down to just kind of just show him I'm friendly. And, and that dog literally, like in a cartoon, ran up my body, biting me multiple times on its way up and found its final destination clamped onto my arm. So I'm standing up literally with it holding its entire weight on the end of my arm. I was like, is this really happening to me right now? And so I kindly, gently removed it. No, not really. But I shook it off. And I I remember I'm standing there and I'm kind of in shock because my my arm is, is bleeding. I'm looking down and I just remember the few words that I said. I was like, Joe told me it was gonna bite me. Joe told me, and they said that I just kind of mumbled that as I walked off to the bathroom to get like cleaned up. And, uh, and uh, he, he told me, and, that, and that's, really, that's really the story of Jeremiah and his life was he told them. He tried to warn the nation of Israel, but he was a voice that was ignored, a voice that was ignored. And so this morning, just a little background first on Jeremiah before we dive into a specific text in the book of Jeremiah, a few things about about him, and we're in this series, if you haven't picked that up, called Average Joes, the idea of ordinary people, extraordinary God, how God uses just the average Joe, if you will, uh, to do extraordinary things, and, and Jeremiah is definitely one of those uh, people. Like David in the story that John shared from uh, two weeks ago as an average Joe, David was the eighth round pick. Well, well, Jeremiah was also in his youth when he was called by God to do something courageous, something great. And so he, most believe he is around the age of 17 when he was invited to be a spokesman for God. He was, it was encouraging to me, he was a preacher's kid. He was the son of a prophet, a high priest named Hilkiah. He lived in the final days of Israel before their final crumbling as a nation. Really, up until this point of his life that he was called into ministry, there's really nothing notable about Jeremiah that's, that's mentioned. We're going to see the first account. If you want to take a glance at the screen or you can turn there yourself, Jeremiah 1, 4 through 8, you look at the initial call that God placed on Jeremiah's life. It's a pretty cool interaction. Take a look at this. Now the word of the Lord came to me, this is Jeremiah speaking, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I love just that truth. Let that sink in. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I had a plan for him. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, this is Jeremiah responding, ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. A lot in that section right there. I love the, 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 the interaction between Jeremiah and God. You notice that the first thing when he was called towards this life of ministry as being a, a spokesman for God, the first thing he came up with was a couple excuses, right? The first thing that he points to, he first he points to, he says, I don't know how to speak. I'm not, I'm not a public speaker. That's, that's, not, that's not who I am. I'm, and then his second one, he's like, I'm just a youth. I'm just a, a kid. And this has to be encouraging for the youth in the front here, just thinking through that, that you know what? God's response isn't really concerned with our, all of our rationale and reasons as to why we can't do something. And many of us, if we're honest, we have our own list of reasons why we're just not qualified to live a life of ministry, to live out God's plan 
for our life. And that was, that was Jeremiah's initial response. But what I find fascinating is not so much Jeremiah's response, because I think that's just human nature to try to say, like, oh, I don't think I'm ready for this. What's fascinating to me is what God's response to it. He didn't, he didn't even take time to kind of work through it and process through it. He says, look at what, what God's response is. He says, do not say I'm only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever, whatever I command you, you shall speak. In other words, this is happening whether you go willingly or kicking and screaming. Ask Jonah. And so basically, basically he's saying, listen, I have a call on your life and you either have the option to resist it and have a difficult uh, existence or you can submit to God's call in your life. And hopefully for us as the, the body of Christ that we can, we can say the same thing. I remember my junior year of college, I really, in between my junior and senior year, really sensed God's call on my life towards vocational ministry. And it was one of those things where the, that voice just kept getting louder and louder in my mind, and so much so that I didn't even feel like it's an option not to do it. Have you had that before with a call and a placement on, on your life? Maybe it's not a life call, but maybe it's that call or that tug to talk to the person in the cube three down from you about Jesus Christ. The thing is, is God prompts us and stirs in us and I'll tell you what, based on his response there, he says, listen, if I've called you to do it, don't bother resisting because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. When God places a call in your life, don't run from it, but run towards it. And what was the call on Jeremiah's life? His call was to call the, the nation of Israel to repent from their sins, to turn from their wicked ways, their adulterous ways, and to come back to God, to come back to God or come to God for the, in the first time. I was thinking about that. You know, that call that he has on Jeremiah's life, thousands of years later, it really hasn't changed in the life of a believer, right? It's really, we have that same call as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, with that same invitation, a call to be a prophet, inviting people to repent from their sin and turn to Jesus Christ. The same invitation, the same calling that happened for Jeremiah also happens for us. Jeremiah's ministry, it basically happened between the last good king that Israel ever had, Josiah, and their fall to the Babylonians, and you can read about the account of that in the Old Testament, but his job was to pronounce that, God, there's, there's judgment coming. It's on its way, and he's giving them one last hope of repentance, but despite pleading with Israel, the people wouldn't listen to his counsel. I think it's interesting that Jeremiah is described as the weeping prophet. The weeping prophet because as he's inviting and he's calling people to repent and there's no response similar to us today, what does that cause? It's just like, oh man, it breaks my heart to see that. Jeremiah 9.1, he describes Jeremiah, he describes himself, he says, my eyes are a fountain of tears. A fountain of tears because his heart broke over Israel. And maybe for us today, you're showing up and you're in the exact same spot where your heart breaks for somebody that you care about, somebody that you're close to, that you've been crying out on their behalf and they just won't listen to your, your counsel. You've been trying to reach out. You've been trying to share truth with them. It's trying to think through this and then why the, the nation of Israel was so resistant, why they're so resistant to Jeremiah's message. When you think about the gospel message, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty enticing invite. Oh, wait, all I have to do is embrace Jesus, God in the flesh, his death as payment for my sin. Why wouldn't somebody 
want to embrace that? Why wouldn't some, why would somebody resist that? Today it makes no sense. What I've come to the conclusion and what Jeremiah, the part of the message that he presented so clearly in the book of Jeremiah, is it really came down to a trust issue. It really came down to a trust issue. He pushed the people of Israel to decide where were they placing their trust. And that was the message that was ignored. He, he, he laid it out clear. We're going to see here in Jeremiah 17. Where do they place the trust? Is it in God or is it in man? Not real complicated. He keeps it just either option A, option B. He kept it simple for the people of Israel. But you see, the truth is still today, our life is packed with really trust issues. Our day is full of it. You think about it, when you rolled out of bed this morning, you had to roll out of bed and you tr- had to trust that your legs were still going to support you like they did last night when you got into bed, right? Anybody else feel it's a little, le- a little bit more of a gamble every single day, whether that's going to actually work? And, uh, and, and so, but trust, life is full of trust exercises. We are at the men's retreat up in, we're up close to Lake Arrowhead, and there's 25 of our guys from the church here right now, and so if you're feeling like there's a lack of testosterone in the room, that's probably why. So they're all up there, and we had this opportunity to be manly and to try a zip line, and I don't know if you've ever done one of those where you go up and you zip across, I don't know, it makes sense, uh, a wire that goes across, and you go on a cable across that deal, and so I remember, though, as I'm climbing up this tree, and it's like 80 plus feet high, and you're getting on this thing, and you're all harnessed in, and I was like looking around, and I'm like, man, I don't know this, this like teenage helper at the camp. I don't, I don't know this person, the, the, like the, this guy that uh, we, we've never met, but I'm going to climb up and harness myself in onto this wire under his instruction. Chris, did you feel that too? Like, like it was, it was kind of like, why am I putting my life in this person's hand that I don't know? So there's opportunity. It's crazy the things that we do put our trust in, yet when the invitation that God says, put your trust in me, put your trust in me, I have a faithful track record. I've extended my love to you in in so many different ways. Why wouldn't we respond to that? He points to that in Jeremiah 17, 5, this major choice as to where we place our trust, the object of our trust, if you will. Take a look with me there. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, you can take that home with you. Verse 5 of 17, chapter 17. It says this, Thus says the Lord, and notice that's in quotes, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. We'll pause there. This first option of the two options, option A, option B, trusting in man. And notice that it's Lord speaking. And what does he say? Cursed. He takes this very seriously. He's saying, this is not, isn't that a great picture, by the way? He's like, this is not a very good idea. This is not a good idea. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. So often in the world around us, that's just laid out at such a a young age of this like, you know, just trust in yourself. You can do it. You need to just try harder. You're capable. You're, you're, it's, all things are possible. I remember my, my kids are in elementary school over at Willow Elementary, and they had a little fall program, and I think it was, I was the only one in the room that it bothered me, but they were singing all these songs about, I can be anything. I can do this. I can do that. I'm like, I was like, I hate to burst your bubble here, 
But in your own strength, you're going to do none of that. You're, you, you can't do that. You can't do that. because, And it must be comical to God looking down at us in our, in our uh, arrogance. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to accomplish this, and I can be all that I, I, I want to be. And God's like, but wait a second. In me, you live and move and have your being. Like, nothing happens independent of God. This very moment as you're listening to this bald guy in front of you, like, it's only because God is allowing the sound to ricochet off those cool things inside of your ear that I don't understand. He sustains it all. He makes it all work. And so in, the, in this, he's saying, listen, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. It's, it's a silly thing. And so, but the, what he points to there is, I find it interesting, whose heart turns away from the Lord. See, it doesn't work well to have a trust in man and, and trust in God where our heart is shows who our, our God is, if you will. He goes on to paint this picture of, of what man looks like. He says, when you're trusting in yourself, he says, he, he's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. He's trying to use every possible descriptor to get across the message like, it doesn't work. It doesn't work independent of me. First thing, he paints the picture of a shrub and the idea of a, a small plant. If you've seen this in this drought-filled land that we live in, like a, a bush that's just like absent of water and it's just doing everything just to survive it's doing everything you're like that thing's not blooming that thing's ju just trying to make it it's it fascinating how the the hills when it hasn't rained for a while here just start to all just turn brown they're still alive but just barely making it it's interesting to think about that i uh I, I notice how often in Scripture God points to different things that, in nature to help us understand how this all works. We had an opportunity at the men's retreat yesterday to go on a, a little bit of a hike, a devotional time. is really refreshing. I remember walking around and I was kind of, I've got this text on, the, on my mind even when I'm up there. And I, I saw this root system of, of this tree that was there. And now you can't see the full expanse of the tree. The, the tree was still like, doing all right it still was there it existed but you notice that the side of it was all on this dry rock there's maybe one one root on the far side that was just hanging on allowing it to just barely survive and that's what 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 God is saying here that's what he's describing he's saying listen you might s survive but you're not going to see anything good to come there's other trees there. This next picture is an example of one of the huge pine trees. That doesn't do justice to how massive it is. It's the ones with the pine cones that are the size of your head. And, uh, and I've got a big head. And, uh, and, 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 and this tree, just seeing how magnificent it was and how it was just growing and flourishing when it was, in, when it was rooted where it was supposed to be rooted. And that's the picture that he's painted here in the text. Saying, sure, you might be able to exist, because in you, in me, you live and move and have being, but you're not going to see anything good come. When you're placing your trust in man, when that's where your basis is and how I'm going to solve this, how I'm going to do this, how I'm going to work harder, how I'm going to find the solution to this problem, that's what he's saying. He's saying that doesn't work. And he, he paints that picture for him. It leads to broken relationships unmet promises, disappointment, depression, and the list goes on and on when we've placed our hope in man, when I've placed our hope in man. I remember 
some years back, I was sitting down and talking to a young man who was sharing the gospel message to him, and he's like, you know, years and years back, I've, I, I've put my trust, in, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe in him. I believe that he was God. I believe he came and he died for me. He's like, but I, I've never really put my, can't say that I've ever like started trusting him to, to lead my life. And he's a pretty self-aware guy. And he's like, so I've just been doing kind of my own thing and explaining that to me. And I paused him for a second. I asked him a simple question. I said, well, how's that working out for you? How's that working out for you? How's, how's that going independent of God's leadership in your life? And it was, it was interesting, kind of paused and thought about that for a second. His response, I, I still remember, he's just like, terrible. <laughs> really bad. Really poorly. Really absent of love, absent of joy, op, absent of direction. And we ended up in a, in a great conversation coming out of that. Because when you come to the conclusion that when I'm putting my trust in me, it doesn't really work. It doesn't really work. Especially not well. Paints the alternative. Thankfully, this isn't the, the only option. Option B, he paints here in the text, verse 7. It says, the opposite of cursed is, nice. Uh, verse 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. I love it, not just trusting in him, but it's all consuming. His trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water. It sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green. And it's not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. What a beautiful picture. The opposite, exact opposite of this struggling shrug or, or shrub I mean to say uh, that, that he paints in the last picture. He describes it as blessed. That's a much better descriptor. Wouldn't you much rather have a life that somebody's like, you're gonna have a blessed life. That sounds better. Like cursed, something about that word I don't really like. And uh, I, I, I've confessed before here that I enjoy watching a little bit of HG, HGTV. Anybody watch some of those shows? There's a particular one, the House Hunters one, and when they start going to like tropical locations, anybody see this? Or am I the only one that watches these dumb things? Uh, and so there's a few, there's a few. But what, what they have, they usually have the option, you'll notice when the ones when they're uh, choosing houses, if you haven't seen this show, choosing which house to ch buy, and when they're close to the ocean, they usually have the option to go with kind of the smaller shack bungalow next to the water, or then they're like, hey, a mile up from the water, you could have this massive, way more square footage. And I find myself sitting in the living room and cheering, I'm like, Pick the one by the water. Pick the one. Anybody else do this? Okay, that's yeah, just me. Uh, uh, but but that's, that's the plea. That's the plea. You're like, choose the one. Why would you be so close? I guess that's Agora Hills. And not live by the water. There's a price tag <laughs> difference, I've realized. Um, but... Uh, but, uh, but in that show, you're always pleading with them. You're like, pick, pick the water. And that's the same thing that he's pointed out here. He's saying, blessed, you're going to remain green. And even, and I love that he says that, that even when, even when the storms and the drought come, because amen, that they keep coming regardless of what you're connected to, right? Even then, he's saying, man, then stay green, stay alive. You're not, you're not, you're not thrown, you're, you're not, uh, you're not in distress. You continue to bear fruit. He paints that picture. Leaves remain green. It's not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. That's the picture. That's the picture that he's invited us to. That's what a life that's entrusted 
in Christ. That's a life that's placed our trust in Christ, what it looks like. I was thinking about it this week, and from God's perspective, he must think, what in the world do I have to do to make them place their trust in me? Like, think about it from God's perspective. I came down in the form of a man and then died on a brutal cross on your behalf. Like, why wouldn't you put your trust in me? Like, that's got to be, like, I don't know, I think from his perspective, pretty annoying. I would be pretty annoyed. Uh, but, but, but from that perspective, think of it in the military terms. You're in the, you're in the military with a guy you've been close to for years and years. The, that crossroad comes in the heat of battle where you've heard the scenario where the, where the hand grenade's right there and the, that close friend dives on top of the hand grenade. And it's sad that this story has happened many times in the military takes it for you, says, you know what, I'm going ta- to die on your, rather than you, I'm going to take your place. Like, wouldn't you, if for some reason that person survived that experience, wouldn't you trust them with anything? You're like, they're willing to die for me. Like, why, why wouldn't I put my trust in them? That wouldn't, that, it doesn't make sense. And from the same perspective, why wouldn't we place our trust in him? So he goes on with this and he says, in case this Two pictures that I painted weren't clear enough. He ends with one last case for why man is not a good option. Take a look at this last verse in verse 9. We'll conclude with this. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So he's painted this picture of, of putting your trust in man, saying, listen, that's a poor idea. You're going to be a shrub. Or you can trust, you can put your trust in, in, in God and place and, and, and turn over everything to him. He's saying, listen, one more reason why man isn't a good option, because there's lots of problems with man. The first one that he points towards is that man can't trust, or, or we can't trust ourselves. We can't trust ourselves. The heart is deceitful. Heart throughout scripture is kind of the core of who we are, the core of our being as described here. He's saying you can't trust the heart because it's deceitful. It's deceitful. Hate to have your trust betrayed. I don't know if there's anyone else here that leans towards putting your trust in people first and then you just let it play itself out and if you get burned, you get burned. Anybody else been uh, burned before by placing your trust in somebody maybe you shouldn't have? I'd rather live life as the person that leans towards trust though. I uh, remember some years back, we, had, uh, we were on a, a missions trip. I was taking a group of young adults to uh, St. Uh, Vincent uh, which is an island close to South America, which is a great location, although tons of, uh, of uh, poverty and more issues than you'd like to imagine in a, such a beautiful spot. But I knew when we were uh, setting up, when we were moving into the accommodations that we we're going to be staying in for the 10 days or whatever it was, uh, that, that there's, it's always a bad sign when there's a night watchman. You know what I'm saying? Like if you're ever staying in a, in a place that there's a guy that's on clock 24-7 just to guard your room, you're like, ah, this probably isn't the best neighborhood. And so this, not, this one night that we were there, in the middle of the night, like two or three in the morning, the couple girls, I hear them screaming and come running down the hall to kind of the guy's section of the place that we're in. And I, I come groggy out like, what's going on? What's going on? And they're just like, we were just robbed. 
A robber snuck through our window while we were sleeping, came in and was going through their stuff, through their purses and everything, and literally with them waking up to this guy in their room, which I, I imagine was a pretty intense experience for a, a, a young person or an old person. Uh, and, and, and so I was like, man, as we're trying to investigate it and try to figure out what happened, we're like, well, he must have gone through the window. And we look at the window and where it was located, and we're like, the window is right next to where the guard, where the night watchman sat. Like, how did that happen? How was that? How did he not notice? In fact, where is the night watchman? So we started looking around the campus of the facility, and in the main office of, of, of the, the place that we're, the lodge that we're at, we look through the window. We're like, I wonder if he's in there. We see all curled up under a blanket. Was the night watchman? He, he was out cold. He was zonked out under a blanket, getting a nice night's sleep. I was like, wait a second, that's not a good night watchman. Like, so do you think the next night we would have been comfortable with him being the night watchman? No, because he betrayed our trust. He, 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 was, he, he was not qualified to stay and actually fill that role for us. And with the text and the reason I tell that story other than I like telling stories, uh, the reason I tell that story is because ourselves were the same way. We can't trust ourselves. We disqualify, we, we prove ourselves to be untrustworthy on a day-by-day basis. So why would we place our trust in me when we don't prove to be faithful? When we prove to fail over and over again, why would we keep placing our trust in us? That's why I saying the heart is deceitful above all things. Why would you place your trust in it? So can't trust ourselves Second, can't fix ourselves. What does it say there? Desperately, it's desperately sick. The term desperately sick there, that, that is defined as medically incurable. Medically incurable. This, it's not, it doesn't just have the sniffles or a cold and it might bounce back and someday get well. It's saying it's desperately sick. It's not going to get better. For those of us that are trying to fix ourselves in our own strength, guess what? It's not going to work. It's not going it, it, We're desperately sick. It's not going to, we're not going to be able to solve our, our own issues. We can't fix ourselves. In our last, uh, in, in the earlier service, it's kind of fun uh, getting to know uh, Jackie a little bit. She was in the, the commercial, if you remember, in the, the 90s. The, the commercial, I've fallen and I can't get up. Do you guys remember that? It was the alert button that you hit. I've fallen and I can't get up. And then you press the button and they come and, and, and help. Uh, does anybody else remember that commercial? Okay, uh, well, the, the person that was the, the actor in that goes to our church in the early service. So it's kind of fun. But I, I, was, I was thinking about, um, about that commercial and how that is really the, the exact representation of, of us. Like, we've fallen and we can't get up. Like, it's so true, though. Like, uh, in our own strength, we can't solve it. We can't do anything about it. That's what he was saying. We're not qualified to receive trust. We don't, we don't meet the demands, the requirements. The last one that he points towards, so desperately sick. And then this one even, even takes it a step further. Can't even understand ourselves. Who can understand it? The point being just like, I don't even get it. How I can be so messed up like anybody else come to that conclusion recently about yourself it's a healthy place to get to remember uh giving my son a hard time he had done something that was disobedient which is uh more frequent than we'd like to acknowledge uh but i remember asking i'm like chase what were you thinking why would you do that 
And his response, he kind of thought for it. He's like, I don't know. <laughs> he was like perplexed. He couldn't even understand it. And I was like, that's a perfect picture of us independent of Christ's reigning Holy Spirit in our lives. We don't even understand the degree of depravity that we are independent of God's reign and rule in our lives. That's why he says, I can't even understand it. Why do I keep doing this? I know it's wrong. I know it's unhealthy. I know it's damaging. I know it hurts others. I know it displeases God, yet I continue. Yet I continue. Why would we place our trust in that? The case that Jeremiah made to his audience was a pretty solid case, wouldn't you agree? Like he's making a case, and my wonder is, my wonder is this morning, just as we conclude here, is what are we placing our trust in? Like really, like I know in Christian world it's like, yeah, I trust in God, but like no, no really, at the core of who we are, like when, you're, when you really get down to the nitty gritty, really, who are you trusting in? Trusting in with your future, Trusting with your finances, trusting, trusting with uh, pat, battles with addiction, tr- trusting with for, for you, you fill in the blank. Who are you trusting in? Is it your ability to solve it? Is it your ability to overcome it? I'll tell you what, the same, we should all come to the same conclusion that my friend did in that conversation. How's that working out for you? If it's absent of God, guess what it's going to end up? It's just going to keep on going poorly. It's going to keep on going poorly. So my hope and my question for us, just as we conclude today, is 2,000 plus years, I don't even know the exact amount of years later from Jeremiah, is the question is, is Jeremiah still an ignored voice? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this passage that points directly to really the root issue we think about sin issues and things that we're struggling with, they really come down to trust. Trusting with me, maybe thinking that I know better than you. God, forgive us for our mistrust. God, I pray that today might even be a marker that somebody takes some steps towards placing their trust in you rather than their ability to solve something. God, that they wouldn't wait until they're brought to their knees to come to that conclusion. God, I pray that you'd work on each one of us on our trust factor. God, you're so worthy of trust. Your track record is impeccable. It's flawless. You've proven yourself. Your character is so true and consistent. Forgive us for going the other direction, God. God, I thank you for your grace, though, and your patience with us as we try to get this all figured out. God, we ask, even in these moments, for your strength to actually place our trust in you. Uh, We praise you and thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I uh, think about that. How many things that we're going through, if you really break them down to the core of what, what the essence of the issue is, really so many things come down to a trust issue really does. So many things come down to trust. I pray that you'd experience the abandon of trusting God this week. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.